How do you get over the fear of visibility and build a strong, authentic, and irresistible personal brand? How do you become a confident and outstanding public speaker who captures attention from the stage, whether that is a virtual speaking gig or actually standing in front of an audience? How do you achieve the celebrity, influencer, and authority status in your industry? How do you become more discoverable on social media? How do you upgrade your message to attract premium clients and leverage digital media to scale and grow your business, influence, and impact worldwide? Hello, welcome back. I am Joanne Chan, your host for the upcoming and first ever Confidence and Visibility Summit 2023, a three-day summit taking place between 22nd to 24th February, lined up with some of the most successful, influential, and powerful voice in the industry. I wanted to host this summit because I realized that most coaches, online business owners, service providers, and entrepreneurs needed real help with building their confidence, visibility, and personal branding in the new virtual economy today. I have been blessed to be helping female entrepreneurs for almost three years full-time, so I reached out to some of my friends and asked them to teach alongside me at the summit. You will be learning from the best in the industry, world-class speakers and successful entrepreneurs and learn how they managed to build a seven-figure business from the ground up, generated billions in revenue, launched hundreds of products, created a top 5% podcast with more than 1 million downloads each month and scale their brands globally. So, if you are a coach, consultant, service provider, online entrepreneur, business owners, aspiring speaker, upcoming author, or you want to create your own podcast, courses, or YouTube, or you want to monetize your content, listen, you don't want to miss this, and it is free. So, hop over to www.joyanchan.com slash summit to get your free tickets today, right now, before it fails. Yes, we only have limited tickets, so you want to act fast. And invite all your friends and business besties. We all could use a little accountability, aren't we? Again, that is www.joyanchan.com slash summit. And you can also find the link in the show notes below. I am telling you guys, guys, this is going to be epic. And I can't wait to see you at the summit live. This episode is sponsored by Get the Law of Attraction. If you have been listening to this podcast, you will know that I am a big believer of the universe and the law of attraction. Get the Law of Attraction is a spiritual and inspirational company that gives you something really good like chocolate chip cookies to feed your soul and your mind every single day. They provide daily Instagram posts and reels on the universe, gratitude, spirituality for your headache life. They also have an educational course on the Law of Attraction and Gratitude Journal and their links are in the show notes below. Go to their website and use promo code JOYAN, J-O-Y-A-N when you sign up to get $25 off. Our special guest today, he called himself the happiest guy you will ever meet. After spending over a decade in investment banking on Wall Street, he took a chance and became an entrepreneur and business builder. Today, he is the chairman and CEO of a public real estate company. In early 2021, right in the heart of a global pandemic, he was working with an executive coach and he had an ultimate aha moment when he finally had a label for his life philosophy and perspective. Then he put pen to paper and the life is too short guy's strategies to take every day the best day ever was spawned. His purpose in life became clear. He wants to positively impact people's lives with his story and his philosophy. With his book and speaking engagement, he is now on a mission to make the world happier, 
one smile at a time. So he's here today to empower you to focus on happiness, gratefulness, and positivity. So guys, help me in welcoming the Life is Too Short guy, Scott White. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on it. I'm sure you are happy to be on it, and you are happy. You are the happiest guy in the world, right? But, you know, I just want to say this first and foremost. You know, it's hard to believe that you, as someone who has spent over a decade, rather, I don't know how long, on Wall Street, and now being the chairman and CEO of the fastest-growing public real estate company in the United States, and also teaching people how to be happy and enjoy every minute of their life. It's really hard to believe because I must say, as you know as well, you know, we all know there are not many people, not many people who are successful and happy at the same time. They are either successful and miserable or, you know, the other way around. So tell us, how did you become the happiest guy in the world? So I think it's been an evolution. It, it didn't happen in, in one sort of moment or one specific event or activity. I, I think all the way back to when I was 10 years old. And when I was 10 years old, I was working with my my dad and, and we we're working on a project. And all of a sudden I, I hear him yell that he had cut himself. And I, I looked up at my dad and he's he's grasping his finger and he's holding it and he's looking down and, and you know, he opens the, the, the clenched fist, he, he closes it, he opens it. And it's cut pretty badly, so he goes on to the hospital to get it stitched up, and, and that night he ended up having a heart attack at the hospital. And I remember my mom coming in the room and telling me that it had a heart attack. And you know, at 10 years old, that was my first sort of reality check that, you know, life is precious. precious. Life is short, and you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Gratefully, fortunately, he survived that event and went on and, and lived for another few decades. But Unfortunately, I lost him at a fairly young age. He, he died at uh, age 65, and, and my mom died a few years later. So I've, I've had a number of events in my life that have really helped me focus and realize life's too short. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Make the most of it. You can look at all these as negative events. I look at all of these as eye-opening, what I call aha events, to remind me, smile, be grateful, be happy. And what I'm trying to do now is, is empower and encourage everyone else to do the same thing. As you said, and, and I think it's a sad reflection on our society, a lot of people make a choice. I'm either going to be happy or I'm going to be successful. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And in fact, I would go so far as to say the happier you are gives you the greatest opportunity to find success. Now, everyone defines success differently, but we too often spend time in this, this hedonic treadmill saying, I am going to work really hard to find success, to make myself happy. And the reality is the treadmill never stops. You're not running a race where you get to the finish line. You work hard, you find success, you think you're about to find happiness, but then you push the finish line out and you work harder. And you try to find more success and you work harder and you try to find more success. So what I want to encourage people to do and think about is start with happiness. Make your, make your thoughts happy. Spend time doing things you love, which will then lead to greater success over the long term. Okay. There are a few questions here. So first, how, how, did, how do you personally define success and happiness? So I think that that... Each person defines it differently. So for me, let me start with, with success. For me, success is, um, I think it's very much 
intertwined with happiness. I think it is um, continuing to challenge myself and find new avenues of of growth, of learning, of taking on different roles as I evolve through life. I find happiness in spending time with friends and family. I find uh, happiness and, and success, and, and honestly, I think they're intertwined, in, in doing things I love to do. So to me, success is waking up every day and knowing that I am loved, that I love others, that I'm happy, and that I can surround myself with happy people and make other people happy, that I can do what I want to do, and that success comes out of that. But I think everyone needs to, needs to define success and happiness in their own way, and I don't attempt to do that. You know, for example, your listeners may say, you know what, I'm incredibly successful because I want to sit around and watch movies and watch TV and listen to podcasts, listen to this podcast. That's great. We as a society often have a lens of success, whether it's certain academic achievements, whether it's certain professional achievements, whether it's a certain amount of money that you have, whether it's a certain lifestyle you live, that's wrong. That's really wrong. And that's part of what contributes to this hedonic treadmill of us constantly striving for more, 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 more. Instead, sit back, reflect on what makes you smile, what makes you feel good, what makes you say, I'm happy. And each person has to do that on their own. Well, I know some people will be like, they are not listening to this podcast, but some people will be like, you know, of course, God, it's easy for you to say all this. It's easy for you to smile. It's easy for you to be happy. You know, it's easy for you to be, to be grateful. You are the CEO of a company. You are happily married to your high school sweetheart with two daughters. You don't have to worry about anything, right? But look at me. I am single. I am fat. I am broke. I don't have this. I don't have that. I can hardly pay my bills and feed myself. How can I be happy? Easy. Because happiness is a relative scale. So it's not happy. Uh, it, it, I shouldn't be defining my happiness in a way. When I say it's a relative scale, it's relative to where I am in life and what I'm focused on. So, so let's look at that person that, that may be single, that may be unemployed. Maybe let's actually take yeah. it a little bit further. Let, let's, let's make a, a further extreme. Maybe somebody that um, is, is dealing with life-threatening illness. Yeah. All right. As I went through my research for the book, I interviewed a, a wonderful, wonderful person. His name is Eric Legrand. And Eric Legrand um, was a football player, a college football, football player. Uh, and about 12 years ago, I was standing on the sidelines of a college football game and, and Eric was racing down the sidelines and collided head on into a, a, an army football player who was running with the football. And Eric became paralyzed. His, he, he fractured his C3 and his C4 vertebrae. And when I talked to Eric about his perspective on life and where he is, by the way, he's incredibly grateful, happy. Um, he, he talks about the fact that, you know, he's, he said to me, Scott, I, I can't walk. I can't drive myself. I can't dress myself. I can't even brush my own teeth yet. I've gone on and started my own business. He has a, a business. He has a coffee shop. He's launching a bourbon brand. He's a motivational speaker. He wrote a book. Um, he's a professional broadcaster. And he said to me, if I can do it, if I can do it, anyone can do it. But what was even more interesting, and now I'm actually going to answer your question very specifically, he said to me, regardless of what your circumstances are, doctor tells you you have 30 days to live. You know what? I'm happy about that because the doctor could have told me I have one day to live. And I think that's a compelling sort of aha moment that I'd go back to your listeners to say, don't, don't 
use the lens of, as you did, well, he's the CEO of a company. Well, he's, he's married to his high school sweetheart. Use the lens of, I am single right now, but I'm healthy. I am, I have a job. Okay, maybe I don't have a job, but I have skills. Okay, maybe um, I am ill, but I have medical care. Okay, maybe I'm homeless, but I have a place to sleep tonight. It's all about perspective. It's not about comparing yourself to the person next to you. It's about where am I in my life and my, my journey and what do I have to be grateful for? No matter what fact pattern you give me and no matter who you tell me, I could find something for that person to be happy and grateful for. And it is my strong belief that regardless of how, how low you are, and by the way, we all have, uh, have cycles. Everyone doesn't sort of live at the high forever, although I'm trying to push people there. But no matter how low you are, it could be worse and there's something good to reflect on. And I think those people that can find those happy moments, that can find that gratitude, that can find that sort of, you know what, it could be worse, are the ones that are ultimately going to find that greatest happiness and success in life. Well, I love that. Yes, you're so right, because it's all about perspective. It's all about what you choose to focus on, right? If you choose to focus on all the problems, all the things that you don't have in your life right now that you want so badly, you will be miserable. Like Forever. Yeah. You'll be miserable forever, no matter what you have. True, Yeah. So one really fascinating, compelling statistic I came uh, across in my research and I talk about in the book is, is that, you know, so many people think happiness is linked to your circumstances. So I'm happy because I have a new car. I'm happy because I have a, a wonderful job. I'm happy because I'm married. I'm happy because I got a huge raise or promotion. Or I'm not happy because I'm dealing with illness. I'm not happy because I, I lost my job. I'm divorced, whatever the case may be. The reality is, of our 100 points of happiness, sort of 100%, about 50% of our happiness is predicated on our genes. It's genetic. It's the code of, of what's written in your cells. And that's you know similar to high blood pressure or similar to um, your eye color. This is genetic. You can't change that. But what's so wonderful about that is the other 50%, you, do, you can impact. And only, and most people are shocked by this, only 10% of your happiness is predicted by all the examples I just gave, the house, the car, the job, the divorce, the death, whatever it is, 10%. So now you're saying, all right, well, Scott, you said 50% is genetic and 10% is the circumstances. What's the other 40%? It's all about perspective. It's all about attitude. It's all about how you approach the world. And that's amazing. If I could have a 40% impact on everything I touch, wow, that's great. So what I encourage people to do is think about the lens through which you view the world. Again, going back to the examples we just talked about, wherever I am in my life, happy, grateful, opportunity, um, this will self-perpetuate and create a greater level of long-term happiness. I love that. It's the first. Thank you so much for sharing that statistic because I never, I have not heard of it before. I'm sure it's in your book as well. So now let's talk about the book. Um, I'm so happy for you and congratulations that you just launched and published your book, uh, your first book. I'm sure more to come. So you, you know, you published a book in January 2023. The life is too short. Can you share some of the key principles um, of your philosophy? Sure. So, so the book is called The Life is Too Short Guy, Strategies to Make Every Day the Best Day Ever. And, and it's important that I focus on, as a starting point, the best day ever, because people will, will challenge me on that. Scott, come on. Really? The best day ever? Is every day the best day ever? What about the, the day you got married? What about the, the birth of your child? And, and I say, again, you're looking backwards and you're reflecting on, well, maybe my best days are behind me. And that's wrong. 
as a foundation, every day can be the best day ever. Now, look, let's be realistic. I'm not telling you every day is the best day ever. What I'm telling you is you have the opportunity to strive every day to make it the best day ever. So the book itself is designed as a very practical, approachable, easy to read. It's not an academic book. It's not full of lots of stats and philosophies that'll put you to sleep. It's a, a fairly fast paced book on, okay, Mr. Life is Too Short Guy, as, as I refer to myself. What is this LITSIG, L-I-T-S-G, LITSIG philosophy, and how do I implement it? And there are 10 principles associated with it. And I walk through each of those. The, the first one and, and the most important one, which I sort of already talked about, is that um, attitude is everything. The power of positivity. You start with that foundation. It's all up here. It's all about your attitude, the lens through which you view the world. And the most practical and easiest suggestion hack that I give people is think about what your first thought of the day is. If I asked you right now, what was your first thought when you woke up? Do you remember what it was? I don't want to share. <laughs> you don't want to share. Okay. Well, regardless of whether or not you want to share, now I'm almost intrigued. I almost feel like this, we've switched this and now I'm going to interview you. <laughs> um, I encourage people to be proactive in their first thought of the day. It, it is the lens through which you are going to view a lot of the rest of the day. And look, there are certain things that, that will be out of your control in the day, but why start on the wrong lens? You can wake up and be like, oh, it's dark. It's cold. It's the middle of the week. I, I have eight meetings today. I have to talk to so-and-so and I don't really want to talk to so-and-so. Oh, after work, I have a, a, a doctor's appointment I'm dreading. Okay. That's one lens to start the day. I'd say the non-lens is that you wake up with kind of no thought. All right, well, it's Wednesday. It's just another day. The positive lens, and this is something easy, practical, and I think life-changing, is to wake up and open your eyes and smile. First of all, smiling has been proven to make you happier automatically. And I encourage people to proactively think about smiling. Smile right now. As you're sitting here listening to this, you know what? Hey, you know, that does kind of feel good. And not only does it feel good for you, it feels good for the people around you. But now proactively, as you wake up, first couple of thoughts of the day, wow, I am maybe, maybe not next to the person I love. I have a roof over my head. I'm heading down for coffee and breakfast in a few minutes. The house is warm, even though I said it's really cold out. Wow, I have an amazing job. Oh, my, my children are home. My children are away at college and they're home right now. Wow, I have the opportunity to meet Joanne today and talk to her on this podcast, right? That was the first 15 seconds of my day. Already, I've set myself up for greater happiness. So, so the, mo the first principle is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. The second principle is choose your attitude and own it. This gets exactly to the point I made about 40% of your happiness is your choice. So as you go about your day, there will be things that are thrown at you that, that are beyond your control. You can't control every circumstance. You can and should control how you react, how you view the world, your perspective, so choose your attitude and own it. The third principle I talk about in the book is little things make a big difference. So here's some practical, practical, very approachable. First one is smile, right? And, and you're listening to this saying, wait, is he really telling me smiling is going to change my life? Yes, actually I am. In fact, as you're listening to this, maybe you're like, huh, if I smile, then it's forced because he told me. But if I don't smile, well, that's kind of weird too. So you smile and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, that kind of feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it feels good. We don't proactively think about smiling enough. Smile when you get in your car. Smile when you get home. Smile when you get to work. Smile when you sit down at the breakfast table. Smile regardless of the circumstance. One, 
It creates chemicals in your brain to make you feel better. Two, think about the world around you, right? As you walk by someone on the street, you, you see someone in a restaurant, wherever the case may be, if they're sitting there staring or they're frowning, you have one perspective. If they're smiling and sort of all jolly and so on and so forth, it's a happier world. So little things make a big difference and not just smiling. What about symbols and triggers? What's going to remind you about happiness and smiling? I encourage people to think about a quote, a poem, a picture, something to jog your memory. This is about being proactive and deliberate. Take that poem, take that quote, take that, that mug, right? That coffee mug that just says, happy day, that says smile, that says be positive, that says be grateful. Use it in the morning because you'll, you'll drink your coffee. You'll be like, hey, you know, that's not bad. What about simple things like singing or whistling? Right? You're just walking around during the day. You hear something. It jogs. You know, I drive some people nuts, uh, particularly my family, where I'll hear any sort of series of words, and I'll just start singing a little bit. It, it may not even be a real song. It doesn't matter. Again, it's been empirically proven in various studies around the world, people that sing, people that whistle. And I don't mean professional singers. I just mean random humming to the radio, singing in the shower, singing as you're, as you're talking, you know, as, as you're going about your life. It makes people happy. What about random acts of kindness? When was the last time you performed a completely random act of kindness? When was the last time you were a recipient of a random act of kindness? These are all simple little things make a big difference. That's the key principle. And the last one I, I mentioned in the little things make a big difference is celebrate. We don't celebrate enough. Too many people, I think, overlook small wins. You don't need a massive promotion. You don't need to get married. You don't need to whatever, fill in the blank with some major accomplishment to celebrate. Celebrate the small wins. Last year around the holiday season, I, I went out to dinner with my family and I, I took my iPad with me. Nobody saw it. I snuck it under my jacket. And when we sat down at the dinner table, I took out the iPad and I put it on the table and, and my teenage daughters looked at me like I had four heads. What are you doing with an iPad at dinner in a nice restaurant? And what I did is I opened up a little presentation that I prepared earlier in the day. And this presentation was comprised of six slides, six pages, six, uh, six slides, one for each of, of the four family members, myself, my wife, and each of my two daughters, one for my wife and I together, and one for the family together. And on each page, I listed bullet points of all the successes over the course of the year. And they didn't have to be massive successes, but it was an opportunity to recognize and celebrate and enjoy life. And I'd encourage people to celebrate and enjoy every day. So third principle I talk about in the book is little things make a big difference. The fourth one is funny things are everywhere. Funny things are everywhere. And I like to quote the, the, the famous literary scholar, Dr. Seuss, from here to there, from there to here, funny things are everywhere. Laughter makes you happy. Making people laugh makes other people happy, makes you happy. Take yourself, take the world, take those around you less seriously. Regardless of the circumstances, there's an opportunity to laugh and find humor. And, and in the book, I tell a story that, you know, when you think about some of the worst moments of your life, and for me, as, as I mentioned before, my, my father passed away about 15 years ago. And I remember to this day standing next to the casket in, the, in sort of the final moments before um, we opened the doors and everyone came into the funeral home. So it's just myself, my brother, our immediate family, and, and my phone rings. So you want to talk about an awkward situation. Here you are at, at probably one of the lowest moments of your life. You're standing with close family, uh, overlooking my, my father, the casket, the phone rings. I reach in my pocket. I grab it out. I hold that up to my ear. And I'm like, 
Hello, Dad? How are you? What are you up to? At first, you think incredibly awkward. However, if you could put yourself in that moment, everyone in the room sort of took a gas and then looked at me and just started laughing. You could find humor to lighten the situation everywhere. And there's a great example, Joanne, of regardless of where you are, you could find happiness. When you asked the question earlier about that, that single person, about maybe that ill person, there's a way to find happiness. Do it through humor. Um, so I've covered five of, of the 10 principles. The other five principles, minutes matter. And I don't think people are proactive enough in thinking about how they use their minutes. You asked me before how I define success and happiness, and I don't attempt to do that in the book. I don't tell people, uh, you need to use your minutes to do the following things. What I suggest to the reader and to your listeners is think about how you use your minutes. I don't think we are proactive and deliberate enough in thinking about how we use our minutes. No judgment. You, again, may choose to use your minutes to to watch sports all day, and that's great. But make sure you're thinking about it. And the, and the math that I work my way through in the book and I tell people about is, and, and it really surprises people, if you just make some broad assumptions, and I know these are broad assumptions, but if, if you're born, you have a life expectancy of about 80 years, plus or minus, that translates into 42 million minutes in your life. Drawing a line in the sand somewhere, because everyone listening to this or reading the book will be at a different age, I'm just going to draw a line midway through the through the through life. So let's just say you're 40 years old, plus or minus, and, and anyone listening to this or reading the book can adjust and do their own math. But at 40 years old, you have 21 million minutes left. Well, you sleep a third of your life. Just by definition, we tend to sleep seven or eight hours, and, and that's healthy and important. So now you're down to plus or minus 14 million minutes. And invariably, as you age and in the final years of life, you're not going to have all of your faculties and ability to do everything you always want. So you probably have about 12-ish million minutes of productive life left if you're 40 years old. If you're older than 40, guess what? You have fewer minutes. Now, all of a sudden, you start to think, wow, huh, how am I using my minutes? Am I using them wisely? I tell people, think about the mental image of a, of a, a barrel. And that barrel could be whatever you think. For me, it's a big wine barrel. And in that wine barrel are little gold coins. And each of those coins represents a minute. And every time I do something, including talking to you right now, or for your listeners listening to this right now, you're reaching into the bucket and you're taking out minutes. And again, how you choose to take those minutes out is your choice, no judgment. What I do tell people is don't let a lifetime go by, a day, a week, a month, a year. And you're like, huh, the barrel's a little bit lower. The minutes have disappeared. Where'd they go? True happiness, fulfillment, be thoughtful in how you're using your minutes. Are you happy with how you're using your minutes? If not, today's the day to change. So um, that covers, what am I at, the, the sixth point, the seventh uh, the sixth principle I talk a lot about. Uh, it's called learn, learn, learn. Every day is an opportunity to keep learning. It doesn't have to be formal education. It doesn't have to be with a professor. It doesn't have to be in a classroom. In this day and age, in the, in, in, in the world we live in, there's an opportunity to learn something new, interesting, unique, creative, constantly. Challenge yourself to try to learn something new every day. So learn, learn, learn. The next principle I call passion. You know, I've interviewed many, many people over the years, hundreds, at least hundreds, in all levels, interns, assistants, C-suite executives, board members, investors. And one of my favorite questions that I always ask is, what are you passionate about? And it's amazing to me how many people look at me like, why are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yes. That's, that's what I often get. And to me, that's a, that's a bad sign because if I'm asked what I'm passionate about, 
I can, I can immediately respond with what I'm passionate about. And by the way, those passions change over time, but you really want something that you're incredibly excited, motivated, want to be a part of, help define yourself. This is more than what do you like to do with your free time? What are your hobbies? That, that, those are passing interests. A passion is something you really engage. It, it's something that becomes a part of your fabric. And again, it changes over time. So I would tell you, you know, uh, I'm really in, interested in college sports. I'm a Rutgers graduate and I'm passionate about Rutgers sports. Right now, I'm passionate about this book and about spreading happiness and making the world happier one smile at a time. I live it. I eat it. I drink it. I breathe it. I'm constantly talking about it. I'm writing the book. I'm going to go out on a, a public speaking tour in the in the coming months. I'm on podcasts. Why? Because I'm passionate about it. I'm energized and hopefully your listeners can hear that by the way I'm presenting and I'm talking. This isn't a hobby. This isn't an interest. This is a passion. I encourage people find your passion and embrace it. Um, as I move along with the final three, the, the, the final countdown, take a chance and get it done today. So, so number eight, I call take a chance and get it done today. I refer to a study that was done in the book. Um, an Australian palliative care nurse wrote a book called uh, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she interviewed and talked to and reflected on people in their final days and weeks before death. And, and you, you won't be surprised that, that the top five regrets of the dying on that list wasn't, wasn't, I wish I had more money. It wasn't, I wish I spent more time at work. It wasn't, I spent too much time with my family. The most compelling takeaway, the most interesting kind of one sentence is the top regret of the dying is the regret of what I didn't do. So it's not what I did, it's what I didn't do. We too often get ourselves hung up with, with what I think are very negative words of risk and fear and, and taking a chance. These are all sort of negative connotation words that we need to spin and redefine and encourage people. Take more chances. Take chances socially. Take chances professionally. Take chances academically. Take chances wherever you are. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that, that willy-nilly just go about life without any sort of, of um, thought process around taking that chance. However, if you were to randomly grab 100 people on the street, I would venture to guess 98 of those 100 are thinking they want to do something different, are debating doing something else, not necessarily changing their career or, or, or changing their 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 uh, partner, whatever the case may be, but there's something that they've been thinking about for a while and they get hung up on, well, what if it fails? What if uh, I can't figure it out? I'm too old, too young, too poor, too whatever. We have to stop with the what ifs. We have to stop with the too much this, too much that. We have to take that chance. So much happiness comes out of finding success by taking a chance or, and I think this is really important, learning from failure. So we're going to fail, right? Taking a chance and getting it done today doesn't mean you're always going to succeed. But if you don't take the chance, you don't learn. You don't know and you forever regret the what if I didn't. And part of that philosophy is part of what, what pushed me to write the book last year. I had been thinking about writing a book for a long time and finally I was like, take a chance. And I will tell you along the journey, there were many times where I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And, and who's going to care? And now that I've finished the book and it's out and, and people are enjoying it, I'm getting amazing feedback. I've never been happier. 
This has been a passion project for me. It's one of the most exciting things I've done in the last decade, if not a couple of decades. And I'm so grateful I took that chance. And I'm so grateful that years from now, I'm not talking to you on this podcast about something else saying, yeah, you know, I always wanted to write a book, but for a while I said, I don't have time. I don't have knowledge. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know where to start. Enough with the I don't know and let's go with what I do know. Take a chance and get it done today. Don't make that list for tomorrow or next week or next month. As you're listening to this, you get home tonight. You're like, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to do that. Embrace it and enjoy it. All right, let's move along. Number nine, no one can make it alone. As we learned during COVID, and I think it's become more more clear to so many people, the importance of embracing family, friends, society. The greatest happiness comes from being part of something bigger, being part of a community. There's a uh, the longest running study on happiness and what makes a good life started at Harvard in the 1940s. Um, a lot of people have referred to this study, so so um, for those who haven't heard about it, it's a fascinating study in, in the late 1940s. A group of 268 Harvard sophomores were identified, and then a few years later, about 450 additional Boston area inner city youth were added to the study. And this group of plus or minus about 700 people were tracked for the rest of their lives. So they were tracked. Now it's going on almost 80 years, psychological tests, physical tests, emotional tests. Um, and the, the goal was to understand what makes a good life, what makes happiness. And, and there was a really wide range of people in this, in this study. There was a U.S. president that was in the study. There were people that ran for the U.S. Senate. There were authors. There were people that, that had negative circumstances, people that, that dealt with addictions, people that dealt with depression, people that dealt with suicide. What was the one takeaway? What was the, the most important thing? Social connections are the most important thing for happiness, health, and longevity. And I will tell you, as someone who is now almost 50 years old, the most compelling statistic that I took away from the whole study, and by the way, there's, there's tons of data on it, how a person defined their own the strength of their social relationships at 50 led to and was correlated to greater happiness, physical, and mental health at age 80. So think about that for a minute. At age 50, how I perceive the strength of my social relationships, the stronger those are, 30 years later, translated into greater happiness and health. Can't make it alone. And number 10, the, the, the closing one, the important one that I think is Live today, don't wait for tomorrow. So this is tied to some of the other ones in terms of taking a chance, but 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 stop looking backwards, stop looking forward, make the most of today. And what I encourage people to do in the book and, and when I speak, and I'll encourage your listeners to do and, and join me on a little journey is close your eyes for a minute as you're listening to this. Hopefully you're not driving. If you're driving, then then you can't do that. But close your eyes for a minute and and join me on a on a journey. And we're gonna go on this little journey where um, it's, it's, it's beautiful weather. It's the spring wherever you are and the sun is shining and you could actually hear the birds and, and the grass has been cut recently. So you could smell the, the fresh grass. And there's a very light breeze on your face and, and you're walking through this field and, and you, you approach something, you open your eyes and there's a, a piece of granite, a piece of granite coming out of the ground. And, and you look at that piece of granite as, as, as you're staring down and, your name is, is across the top of that granite, and you're now staring at your tombstone. I now ask you, I've given you the first line of that, which is your name. What's the second line on the tombstone, and what's the third line? What are those defining three or four or five words 
that you want to be remembered for for eternity. And once you've locked that in and you have some good idea what those words are, I ask you to, to open your eyes and, and take out a pen and paper and write down what are the key themes of your own eulogy. An amazing exercise to sit down and write. Someone else is going to talk about you. You're obviously no longer here. You are surrounded by your closest friends and family, people that came out. What are the key themes that you want to be remembered by? And then when you know that exercise, now write your own obituary. What are the key themes that you want the rest of the world? These are people that have never met you, never will meet you. How do you want to be remembered? You now have a couple of words that you'd like on your tombstone. You have a couple of sentences or maybe a few paragraphs uh, for your eulogy. And a, and a couple of paragraphs and themes around your obituary. And I now ask you to stop and think of all these themes and words you've written down. Is this the life you're living today, right now? And if it's not, today's your chance, your aha moment, your huh, that's kind of interesting, to change and start living the life that you want to be remembered by. Start living the legacy that's important to you and make today the very best day ever. And then go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and do it again. That's the book. Thank you. Thank you so much for working through the 10 principles. I written all down. I love it. What I love the most is, of course, the exercise that you just guided us through. The exercise, I personally, I didn't do it before. I know people ask, you know, question like, uh, what is your legacy, right? The, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? What is the impact that you want to have in the world? But I really never have visualized myself walking through, you know, to my, my, my tombstone and um, just asking myself the question, how do I want people to remember me, right? When I'm not no longer here. So I also want to share that the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I was in my previous job, nine to five job, and I hated it. I wouldn't say I hated it. It's just like I, I wasn't passionate about it. Um, and then one day I asked myself this question because I wasn't happy and I wasn't fulfilled. I was like, why am I doing? I, I feel like I was, I was pretty young and, um, so I asked myself, what, I remember one day I asked myself this question, is this what I want to do? Is this what, what I want to do for the rest of my life? I picture myself, I, I remember I closed my eyes and visualized, you know, 10 years down the road and I'm still here doing what I'm doing now today in this company with these people. And I was like, the answer was so clear to me. No, no, I don't want to do this, right? This is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So immediately, I, not immediately, but I quit my job. I made a decision to quit my job and just, Venture out to do my own business and coaching and start a podcast. So I encourage people to to actually really ask yourself this question. Since we are still in the beginning of the year, it's so important. It's the best time of the year to ask yourself this question because you don't want to be time flies, right? How many minutes do we have left? You never know. You never know, right? That's it. I, look, I think you said that incredibly well. The one thing I would encourage your listeners to even push it long, push it even more. Instead of asking, as you said, I, I closed my eyes and I saw myself 10 years and I was like, I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. But I wouldn't even look that far. I'd say, do I want to be doing this tomorrow? Do I want to be doing this tomorrow? Now, look, I realize there's practical implications. We can't just walk out of our job and hope we're going to find something tomorrow. But we could start to, to make changes in our perspective and our life instead of going through the motions of, yeah, I, yeah I, I can't see myself doing this a decade from now, but I could probably put up with it for a few more months. And No, stop. You only have so many minutes left and you don't know how many you have. I, I painted a picture of maybe 10 or 12 million minutes left for a 40-year-old. It could be a few minutes left. You don't know. And my goal, this isn't a, a sort of um, 
it's not meant to, to be a downer or meant to be a, wow, you know, he talks all about how many minutes are left and, and it's sort of leaving me. It's meant to be a call to action. It's, it's a reflection to say, huh, I never actually thought about it that way. It, it, it's an interesting perspective. In fact, on the cover of the book, I have, if you haven't seen it, it's an hourglass and it, it sort of has this image of the sands of time are flying by. What are you doing today? Do you love it? Are you passionate? You used the word passion. I was so excited when you said passionate about it, because if you're not passionate about it, change it. Mm, okay. So how do people find their passion? Because this is a question that I get quite often. Like people ask me, how do I find my passion? I, I really don't know what, what am I passionate about? Like you interview so many people, maybe they don't know what they're passionate about. So how do you help them to find out their passion? So first of all, passion. Passions change over time, so you, you will not be passionate about the same thing forever, and it may not even be for a prolonged period of time. Passion is, is I think, in part related to where you are in life, your age, your circumstances, those around you. And I ask people to think about what makes you smile, right? So, so I talked before about being proactive and smiling, but there's certain circumstances where you already smile. There, there's the the world you're surrounded by, the activity you're doing, something you're hearing. Maybe it's this podcast. Maybe this podcast is making you smile. What naturally makes you smile? Write that down. Where do you feel like you are in a state of flow? Time flies by while you're doing an activity. Maybe it's a um, um, sport. I don't know. A sport, right? Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's it's being at a religious organization. You want to get involved in your religious organization. Maybe it's volunteering for an organization that's meaningful to you. Maybe it's a new challenge. It doesn't really matter what it is, but we all have this innate sort of that made me smile. And, and when I spend time doing it, I get in a state of flow. I get in a state of minutes tick by. I don't even realize it. I'm not distracted. When you're doing things that you're not engaged, you don't love, you're constantly distracted. You're looking at your phone, you're looking at the computer, you're looking at the clock. That's not your passion. There is some place in your life, whether you realize it or not, where you go, you do, you think. Maybe it's just reading. Maybe your passion is reading. So it doesn't have to be saying, yeah, my passion's reading. And when I start reading, I just lose track of time. I look up and it's, wow, two hours just blew by. That's wonderful. That's a good way to think about passion. And then I encourage people to, one, allocate more of your precious minutes there. Two, make it more of your fabric. So let's look at the reading example. Maybe you join a book club. Maybe you start following podcasters or you start following bloggers or others that, that are, are uh, voices in the community that's important to you, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or self-help or whatever the case may be. Try to take that next step to embrace the passion. This is where I talk about the difference between a hobby or, or something you like to do okay, I like to read, or I'm passionate about it, I'm going to set a goal. I, I'm going to read a book a week. I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to go to a, an author signing, for example. I mean, it's just an example that's coming out of, of thin air. You can give me any sort of interest, and we could find a way to make it a passion. And by doing so, it becomes a greater part of your identity, it brings you greater joy and happiness. It gives you the opportunities. You think about some of the other things I talk about, the other principles. What about can't make it alone? Well, join a community of like-minded individuals. So now you're doing something you're passionate about, you're excited about, and you're doing it with others. Wow, right? I mean, this is such a great way to weave some of these themes together. Hmm. Do you believe that is a, like we are all here for a purpose? Like, Do you personally believe that 
we all have a life purpose, a reason for being here, or it's our purpose, you know, it's finding our passion will lead us down the route of discovering our life purpose eventually, or is it totally not the same thing at all? Um, I think they're related. I do think your passion will lead you to your purpose, but like passion, I think your purpose may change over time, right? My, my purpose in life and, and my, my purpose and passion were different 20 years ago. And I think my purpose, I don't think we have one purpose in life. I, I am not a believer that, that we're all put on this world for, for one purpose. I love that. You know, had you and I spoken five years ago, I never would have identified this making the world happier one smile at a time. Now that I have found it, I am fired up about it. I'm excited and I am grateful and I am going to make the world happier one smile at a time. Just looking at you smiling, I'm like, this is wonderful, right? And, and anyone else that's listening to this, if they could smile for just a second, a half a second, a millisecond. Yes, that's my purpose. That's my passion right now. It may change in, in five or 10 years. I don't know. Right now, as I look out, I think that's sort of my passion for the foreseeable future. But who knows? Every day is a new adventure. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Every day can be the best day ever. It can be. It's not going to be, but can be. Every day can be the best day ever. Yeah. As long as you approach it with that perspective, you'd be amazed how many wonderful days you have. But how about, you know, on... On your worst day, right? On your worst day, on a quote-unquote bad day where everything you touch just seems to go wrong. How do you deal with that? How do you personally, because I'm sure you are also, you're you're running a company, right? You are the CEO of a company. How do you personally apply these principles that you just shared inside your organization, inside corporations? And how do you personally manage? Because I'm sure with that title, it comes a lot of responsibility and with responsibility comes a lot of stress. So how do you personally manage stress and problems in your life, in your company, and make it still make it the best there ever? Well, look, it starts with the foundational principle, right? The foundational principle is attitude is everything, the power of positivity. So regardless of the circumstances, I try to find a silver lining. I try to approach things. You know, I, I in my role professionally, I spend a lot of time in negotiations. I spend a lot of time in, in disagreements, unfortunately. I mean, it's just the nature of the business. So there are a lot of times I will find myself in, in, in situations where I could take two tacks. And, and one of the examples I give in the book is, is an email response, right? So someone sends you an email that, that uh, by design raises the hairs on the back of your neck, right? This person just wants to get you upset. They're, they're, they're livid. They're, you said blah, 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 blah. In almost all cases... And maybe I'll even take out the qualifier. In all cases, there's a way to respond to that, to diffuse it, to change the, the approach. Now, look, you may not change that other person, but in the book, I give an example of where I received an email and I, I could have fired back and I wrote the email of, here's where you're wrong. All you want to do is fight. I don't understand what you're doing. Uh, here's what I'm going to do to, to fight back. And here are all my threats. Or I could respond, which I often do, Joanne, thank you so very much for your email. It's great to hear from you. I'm sorry that we had this disagreement, but I'm sure that we can find a resolution. A couple of ideas I have are X, Y, Z. It may make sense for us to hop on the phone and discuss. By the way, people tend to interact much better either on the phone or in person than they do over email. We've all experienced that. And, you know, I'll usually close out with, uh, you know, as, as we're looking at this early in the new year, wishing you all the best new year. So no matter what they sent me, I have a way to take that that text and spin it in a positive way. Now, look, I, I'm not going to 
you should rightfully be questioning, all right, come on, everything you can do that with? There are circumstances where I lose my cool. There's no doubt about it. In fact, as we're talking right now, this morning, I, I started my day with, with a phone call that set me off and it became a bit of a dispute. And I immediately, no, actually immediately is an exaggeration. After a couple of minutes of going back and forth, I took a deep breath and I thought about the principles and I'm like, you know what, Bob, there's a way to handle this. Let, let's take it down a step. Let's find a way to work together. Let's think about how we can overcome this in a positive manner. And I even use that. And people know that I use those words a lot. I also surround myself with great people. Remember, we can't make it alone. One of the key principles, any company is only as good as the foundation, the team, the people you surround yourself with. So that's really important. I talk about, again, one of the principles, learn, learn, learn. So you said you've had a really bad day. You got a lot of of problems, issues. I look at those as opportunities to learn. What did I, so again, going back to that specific example, I lost my cool on a call this morning. I'm going to admit it. I'm human. I'm not superhuman. And, and as much as I say, I try to stay positive. I lost my cool. And then afterwards I sat and I reflected. I'm like, all right, what was the point where did, where I lost it and how could I do it differently? And I specifically thought about, you know what, Scott, you taking personal responsibility started with too much of a negative lens. So instead of, as you talk about, starting with, well, how can we resolve this? You got on the call and you were immediately like, I can't believe you X or Y. And I did that and I regretted it. So one, positive perspective inside the company as best I can. Two, surround yourself with really great people that help you. Three, constantly learn. Four, funny things are everywhere. And there's so many negotiations I've been involved in, boardroom discussions, where I will soften the mood regardless of what's going on. And you'd be amazed how quickly it changes the tone inside a business conversation when you could use humor. Too often in the business context, people take themselves or their situations too seriously. Stop, stop. It's, it's not that serious, regardless of what the facts are, regardless of what the facts are, there is humor. I gave you the example before of the phone ringing as I was standing at the funeral. You could find a way to laugh, to smile, to soften the situation. I encourage people to do that both uh, at home and in the professional setting. Awesome. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. Scott, before we move on, is there anything that you want to share or really want to talk about? Perhaps I didn't let you or didn't ask you. You know, it was a very compelling conversation. I think you covered a lot. My key takeaways or my key sort of parting suggestions to people is, is, Take this to heart. This is not just a passing kind of, oh, smile and be happy. Like you only have so many minutes in your life, right? So, so you spend time focused on making more money. You spend time focused on, on buying some new car. You spend time focused on, on whatever credentials you're trying to work towards. Now, spend some time thinking about your happiness. Spend some time thinking about the people you surround yourself with. Spend some time thinking about laughing, about, about gratitude, about positivity. Spend some time thinking about random acts of kindness. We blew over that before, but wow, what a powerful way to live a happier life. Just perform a random act of kindness. I encourage, I even more than encourage, I, um, I am imploring everybody I meet, everyone that's listening to this, Make today the day you're going to change. Make today that aha moment where you don't have to wait for some major setback and you want to live a happier, more fulfilling life. Yeah, that's so true. You don't have to wait for something huge or something tragic to happen to to wake up to life, you know. This is it. Listening to this is that moment. This is, the, this is your moment. Yes, if you're listening to this, this is your moment. This is the call to action. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much again for your positivity and your endless energy for lighting out the room today and making our listeners smile today. Um, we always end our final. We always end with our final five rapid fire questions. So every question has to be answered in one word or one sentence maximum. Woo! All right. <laughs> First question: What is one thing you wish you knew earlier? Finding this passion. Wow! Wow! If you could live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Nothing. Love it. What is something you're trying to learn or curious about right now? How best to spread this happiness message. Beautiful, beautiful. If you have five minutes and the whole world was listening to you, what would you say? Oh, we just did that in an hour. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The last question is: What brings you joy? Spreading this message. Love that, love that. Thank you so much for again taking your time out today. I'm sure a lot of people they want to get to know you more. Or is it possible to for people to work with you to do coaching or stuff like that? And where can I send people to you? So uh, people find me on my website, lifeistooshortguy.com, lifeistooshortguy.com. I'd encourage people to buy the book, read the book, reach out to me. And I, I am going to be doing, and I've started a, a fair number of public speaking engagements. So to the extent you think this could be helpful for your team, your company, your world, I can make people happier. And I think that's vitally important. That's my goal, my mission, making the world happier one smile at a time. I love that tagline. <laughs> All right, guys. I hope you love this episode. Go follow Scott. Go to his website. Get his book today and apply. Start applying those principles today. And also check out all the amazing things he's doing. Public speaking, you know, and workshop. I'm sure he's doing a lot. And I will put all the links in the show notes below. So do make sure you check it out. And to learn more about what I do and connect with me, follow me on Instagram at joan.chan or visit my website joanchan.com. And we release new episode every Wednesday. So. So if you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss another episode. And I will always leave you the same way as I leave you with every other episode. Show up. The world needs you, and you need you. Thanks for listening, and I wish you all a joyful and amazing day ahead. Thanks again to our sponsor, Get the Law of Attraction. Follow them on Instagram for daily spiritual enrichment and encouragement, especially. If your spiritual ice cream cone is melting a bit, you will get a fresh scoop of your favorite flavor of spiritual encouragement and insights. Find your Joanne listeners will get $25 off when you go to their website and use promo code JOYAN, J-O-Y-A-N when you sign up for their Law of Attraction course and gratitude journal. Once again, that is JOYAN, J-O-Y-A-N for $25 off and their links are in the show notes below. Thank you again for tuning to Find Joy with Joanne podcast. If you love and enjoy today's episode, you can help support this podcast in one of three ways. One, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your IG story and tag me at joanne.chan so I can repost and connect with you. Two, share this podcast with a friend or family member. And three, leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts so we continue to grow and reach more listeners worldwide. And make sure you also subscribe so you don't miss out on any episode coming Wednesday. And my joyful friends, until next time, keep showing up. 
success doesn't show up for you until you show up and pursue your own success. Again, thanks for being here, and I will see you soon in the next episode.